0: This year, we're going to notch it up a bit, all right, and we're going to do a series called Be a Disciple. We recognize that in our church, God is calling us to make disciples. Disciples are people that follow Jesus. There's a lifestyle change that comes with being a Christian. There's many in our world that say they're a Christian, for instance, maybe grew up around that, had that kind of influence. Okay, I go to church, or yes, I believe in Jesus, but what Jesus really calls us to is to engage in a life change of following him, right? And so we're going to go through uh, uh, this topic, this study um, over the next weeks. We've got three weeks to get warmed up for it. I call it pre-campaign, all right? So I'm going to try to Uh, make the case to you, look at the scriptures, give you the reasons behind why you should get involved in this. And then we'll have eight weeks from the first week of October until the week before Thanksgiving, where we'll focus in on growing. And so by the time that campaign hits, man, we're ready to move and we're growing and we're taking the steps that God wants us to take. A couple things before we get started. I want to ask you to consider, if this is your church home, um, would you consider a move to our Saturday night service? So uh, what we recognize is we still want to have room for everybody to feel comfortable in here, and it's starting to fill up a little bit. Each week we have a few more people coming back, and so our Sunday services are just getting a little tighter, which is, it's okay, but if you would consider a move to Saturday night, we have plenty of room. We've got, you know, maybe 80 to 100 people in there right now, and so there is room to spread out in there. So if you would consider that, if this is your church home, would you consider that move? Six o'clock Saturday night, you get the same experience, same service, um, uh, and so uh, please consider that. And then if you are new here uh, or visiting, please consider attending our introduction to the family. Um, it's a little meal that we have after the service. Uh, Ken announced it. There's information out at our connections uh, booth out here after service. You can get signed up for that. But consider being a part of that because that'll help you understand a little bit more about who we are and, uh, and what we're all about. Um, today, the title of today's message, this is pre-campaign week one. It's called Discipleship. The goal is not comfort, it is growth. The goal is not comfort, it is growth. Today I want you to consider something that is a little risky, a little dangerous, might be a little scary in some ways. Uh, We typically as a culture, as a people, try to avoid risk every chance we get. But what I want to encourage you with is that a call to follow Jesus is not a safe, comfortable venture. It is a risky one. You know, when I was 16 years old, I lived in Blackfoot, Idaho, small town, southern uh, end of Idaho. My dad uh, got a call to pastor a church there in that little town, and so a town about 10,000. We moved there halfway between uh, in my sophomore year, so it was around uh, over Christmas break. And so uh, I lived there. Well, I lived there over the years, um, over that year and a half, I turned 16, got my driver's license. Well, I had a friend named Paul who had a motorcycle, and um, <clears throat> somehow i convinced paul to let me learn to ride a motorcycle on his motorcycle now you'll know if you're around motorcycles you have motorcycles you never let somebody learn to ride on your motorcycle or else you're probably going to get wrecked right but somehow paul and i had a close relationship and i can, i don't know how it happened but he let me and i didn't wreck it fortunately and i did learn to work that clutch which was a little tricky, and, uh, but I did learn how to ride it. And so then, Paul, who grew up in that area, had some friends, some cousins or whatever, that located a motorcycle. Now, the first motorcycle I had to, first one was a Honda 100, and this was what was called an Enduro. It was on-road, off-road. Really wasn't good at either one, but, you know, it was supposed to be. And so I rode that thing, and I rode that thing, and, um, uh, and kind of wore it out. And so uh, an opportunity came up to to up my motorcycle status quite a bit, to go from a 100 cc to a 750 cc. So my, my friend Paul uh, had a cousin or something, I don't remember who it was, but he had a, a Yamaha TX750. And I got a picture of it, what it kinda looked like here. And I mean, this thing, maybe it doesn't look that impressive, but man, it was an increase in power exponentially. And so I got to ride this thing in high school. Again, I'm in high school. Somehow, I really don't remember the conversation with my parents. Maybe I just assumed it was okay. Maybe I just came home with it one day. I really don't remember how it happened. They didn't stop me. That's all I know. And so I got this thing, and, um, and so I worked at McDonald's, had a little bit of money, but I'd get off work, and I just remember riding that baby home at night. I mean, it was dark, and it was, you know, the cool uh, mountain evening, and I got to ride home, and, oh, man, it was exhilarating, all right? And so I rode this thing, and I pushed the limits all I could. I think I got up to, like, 110 on a country road, and I was kind of floating, like I would feel, leave the ground. And then I thought, man, it's probably a little too fast for this bike, but boy, it was fun. All right. I didn't really know how much danger a motorcycle could be. I had no idea. I just had a great time with it and I could ride it. And so I had fun, but, uh, we moved to Montana, uh, before my senior year, my dad took another church in small town, Montana, and I rode this motorcycle all the way up from Blackfoot to Augusta, Montana. And the thing had had a crack block which I know isn't great. I had to keep adding oil. But, um, but that trip kind of did it in. It was kind of the end of it. And so I rode it a little bit when I got there, but then it kind of went kaput and it was over. And uh, then I went off to college. I got married, had kids, you know a story. And motorcycles just didn't, weren't part of my life. And loved it. I mean, it was a great part of my life, but it's not something that I was able to have really and didn't really have an opportunity to get one until 2010 when I turned four years old. And I told my wife, Honey, I'm having a little midlife crisis here. I need something to help me go, you know, feel a little younger again. Man, I sure had fun on a motorcycle. Well, we lived in Denver at the time. My wife's a nurse. She wasn't really excited about me getting a motorcycle. But somehow, in a moment of weakness, I got her to Ascent. And so I went and found the next motorcycle I got, which was a ZRX 1100. And uh, this not like a crotch rocket or anything, but it does have a chain drive. It does have a pretty good size engine, and it's pretty exciting, you know? So I rode this in Denver. Well, that's a whole different deal than in Blackfoot, Idaho, for sure. And it uh, took a little learning curve, but I got onto it pretty quick. But, man, I had so much fun with this motorcycle. It did help me with my midlife crisis, which is still going on, by the way. you got to milk those things. Okay, so I go, I go, hey, um, uh, but here's what I found out when I got this thing. I'm 40 years old, and I had friends, you know, that I didn't have when I was younger, obviously, and I got a real uh, strong response from some of my friends to me getting a motorcycle. I mean, to me, it's no big deal. I'd had one when I was younger. What's the big deal? But I got some people really angry at me just with the idea that I'd be getting a motorcycle, And, uh, and because of how dangerous they are. Don't you know you could get killed? I was like, well, I mean, I don't think about that when I'm riding it. I'm sure it's possible. You know, you try to be careful. Um, but, uh, but that's not my primary thought as I get on it and ride it. But, but it was for them. And so the frustrating thing for them was me having a motorcycle was now going to bring fear and concern into their life. And they weren't real excited about that. And I realized, man, yeah, uh, my decisions affect other people, right? And sometimes negatively. And so uh, what's interesting to me about this is that my journey of following Jesus interestingly enough, has produced some of the same kind of reactions in people. Because my journey with Jesus has not been safe and comfortable. It's not one uh, sitting in the same safe, comfortable spot, but it's been one of stepping out at times and taking risk. And that risk has been pushed back on by people that love me and are close to me. What are you doing? How are you going to move your family across the country? Where, how are you going to provide for them? What's going to happen, right? And so I got uh, some similar reactions. Now, not everyone is supposed to do what I've done as a follower of Jesus. Everyone's journey and, and uh, you know, process of following Jesus does not look the same. We're all different, and God meets us where we're at, and Jesus meets us where we're at. So I'm, I'm not pressing you to do what I've done this morning, but I'm just calling to attention that the, the, the calling to follow Jesus is not primarily comfortable and safe. And in North America, one of the things we've done is we've created, I think, a wonderful church experience. And we try to do the best we can with music and preaching and everything that goes on to make people want to come and to be a part of it and to feel good when you're here and, and to feel as though God's speaking to you. But in some ways, we can be our own worst enemy because the process of church and being a part of church and being a follower of Jesus is not just to sit in a comfortable space. It's to move. It's to grow. Um, Jesus' primary desire for you is not comfort, but it's growth. He wants to see you move. If you uh, have a Bible this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. Uh, in light of the fact that God calls us to grow, um, what we want to do is look at this, uh, this chapter, fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and dig into a little bit, what is the calling that Jesus is calling to? What does that look like? You know, uh, oftentimes we think in our Christian life that sin, temptation, maybe even evil in the world around us, the pull in those directions is our greatest obstacle to becoming a successful followers of Jesus, uh, follower of Jesus. way that's really moving with him. Experiencing fullness of life. Victory in our Christian life. We think that sin and evil are our biggest enemies. I want to suggest to you today that they might not be our biggest enemies. Perhaps, just consider this, that maybe the biggest enemy we have to growing, to, or to experiencing the Christian life, the victory in our Christian life, the fullness of the life that God wants us to have, what we kind of feel inside of us should be our experience as followers of Jesus, that perhaps the greatest obstacle to that is not sin and evil, though those are a big deal. But maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's complacency. Ronald Meredith, in his book, Hurrying Big for Little Reasons, describes one quiet evening, or one quiet night in early spring. Suddenly out of the night came the sound of wild geese flying. I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? It might have ended there except for the sight of our tame mallards on the pond. They heard the wild call they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly to take their place in the sky for which God had made them was sounding in their feathered breasts, but they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly away only made them uncomfortable. It could be that you and I have settled into a place of comfort. Now I know that God at times shakes things up a little bit. He does. And this whole uh, situation we're in as a a country, the virus and all that stuff, is shaking things up a little bit for all of us. But uh, maybe it's not shaken us and moved us in the right direction. (laughs) It might have shaken us and moved us in the wrong direction. But here at Mitchell Breein Church, we know the desire of God is a call to you and to I to move out, to, to fly. Not just to stay in the barnyard where it's comfortable and safe, but we can grow comfortable and complacent. Complacency is a blight that saps energy, it dulls attitudes, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are, the second is a rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. Like water, complacent people follow the easiest course downhill. They draw false strength from looking back. Now listen, we look back, right, to gain strength and gain direction, but we must, we must continue to look forward. God has done great things in our past for all of us. That's why we're here, and we live out of that strength the faith that comes from a walk with God. But we can't sit there. We can't rest in that. We must continue to press forward. And I want to suggest to you that this season might be a season for us to grow, might be a season for you to take the next step. The theme of discipleship is going to be the theme for this campaign, and it's going to be the theme for the next year. Uh, You're in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. It says this. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The call of Jesus, the call that the New Testament places on our lives that God uh, presents to us in the the Scriptures is a call to discipleship. It's, It's a call to maturity, to grow up to grow up to the place where we are connected to God in a powerful way and we're following him. Jesus is working to make us fully trained disciples, ready to take on his mission in the world. It's his mission that we find purpose in. That's where we find life. That's where we find meaning. That's where we discover who we really are and what we're here to do. It's it's within the mission of God. We never get to working out and working on the mission of God if we don't mature and grow up. And so as a church, we're going to embrace a discipleship vision, okay, a vision for discipleship that is found in a book called Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. We're going to have these books available. You can find them. Uh, Ben, Pastor Ben in the youth group has been working with this and using it um, already. And we find it to be really powerful, uh, a powerful vision for discipleship, because it presents to us four unique calls of Jesus to us as Christians. We, uh, Jesus is constantly calling to us, right, to step closer to him. And so uh, in this in this book, Four Chair Discipling, there are four chairs. We've got some creative people in our, in our church that uh, have created a little display here, visual for us as we go through this campaign. Keep this in front of us. Four different chairs. The first chair is uh, kind of like a movie uh, a movie seats. There's two there, right? And there's tickets there and popcorn and everything. Well, that represents come and see. In uh, John 1, 39, Jesus said to some of those that would become his disciples, come and see what I'm doing. Come and check it out. And so really, even before we become a follower of Jesus, we first come and see what Jesus is all about. What's he doing? And so there's two chairs there because you're supposed to bring somebody with you to come and check out what Jesus is doing. And so that's chair one. Chair two is come and follow me. And that is the, that is the chair where we become uh, a, a Christian, really, a follower of Jesus, where we move from that place of uh, maybe thinking Jesus is a good person and there's some validity to it, to putting our trust in him as our Savior, and saying, I need forgiveness of sins, Jesus, I need what you have to offer, and so we come to him for that, and he says, come and follow me, John 1, 43 is our scripture for that, we got some camping gear and everything, because that's, that's a chair that doesn't stay put in one spot, that's a chair that, that we move, but we begin to move and follow him, chair three, Matthew four nineteen, Jesus said to Peter, come, and I'll make you fishers of men, right, he said, come on, Peter, come and join me, and we're going to do the work that God's put me here to do. We're going to work to call people to follow, uh, to follow me. And so we got a fishing rig there and a setup there that represents that third chair. That's really where we get involved in the ministry work uh, or the work of what God's doing on the earth. We get engaged. And then chair four is go and bear fruit. John 15, 16, which we talked about a few weeks ago, how Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you're in me and you remain in me, you're going to produce fruit. And the fruit that we're specifically talking about in this series and the person who's living and sitting in that chair and living uh, that type of life of following Jesus is a, uh, is a chair in which you're going to reproduce, make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, right? And so we recognize that to grow up, to mature as a Christian, The kind of the ultimate, not that we ever get there, we're all continuing to grow. But that place of reaching maturity has a couple of things involved in it. But one of them is that I'm going to be reproducing myself and others. I'm going to help other people become a disciple of Jesus too. And so these four chairs are going to be a visual for us through this campaign. I'm going to ask you, we're going to be asking kind of two questions. And and through this, you'll be able to identify hopefully which chair you're in. Where are you at as a follower of Jesus? Or, or have you even gotten there yet? Maybe you're still seeking and looking and searching, which is fine. Where are you at? And then which chair do you need to move towards? Now, I'm not pushing anybody anywhere, okay? I'm simply acknowledging and representing the cause of Jesus, and I'm asking you to consider what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. What is it that God might be urging you to do? Now, the book of Ephesians that we're in this morning was one of the what's called the prison epistles, Um, Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, when he was imprisoned in Rome, wrote four letters to the churches. He wrote Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. Probably written between 59 and 63 AD, and probably again when he was imprisoned in Rome. He had appealed to Caesar. He was arrested um, for preaching the gospel, preaching the message of what was known as the Way That's what the Christian movement was known as in the early times, the way. And this was an illegal religion. It was illegal. It was against the law. Rome had not recognized it, so it wasn't officially recognized by the uh, Roman Empire. That made it illegal. And then, obviously, the, the Jewish nation did not recognize it as legitimate. They did not see Jesus as a true Messiah. And so there was this subversive movement of Christianity that was illegal, and Paul had been arrested for that. And he appealed to Caesar. He said, I want to go to Rome. And so they sent him to Rome and he was in prison for a couple years. It was there that he wrote these letters. So Ephesians is an epistle, again, that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he notes in it that his journey was not necessarily one of comfort and ease. His journey was one of sacrifice, right? But it was an adventure. He said the call of Jesus is to a life of adventure and sacrifice. It's based in the work of Jesus on our behalf. He sacrificed for us, so in return, he asks us to live our lives for him. In order to realize all that God has in mind for us, we must be determined to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul says, listen, God called you to be in his family. He's called you to be a part of this. Now live your life in a way way that represents worthiness of that. Live a a life of appreciation for what God's done for you. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We'll read the first six verses together. This is what it says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to, one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The Apostle Paul's journey of following Jesus Jesus led him into the dangerous situation from which he writes this letter. He says, listen, uh, you know, I'm writing from prison, but I am writing to you to live in such a way that you're living a life worthy of the calling you've received. He notes the importance of staying united together in the context of living a life worthy of the calling. So staying unified and staying uh, connected to each other is part of the way that we live in such a way that we live a life worthy of the calling. He says, listen, humble and gentle. Be humble and gentle as you interact with each other. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you'll stumble, right? Because pride comes before a fall. And so humility, as difficult as it can be for us at times, is, needs to be a hallmark of our lives. Humble, humility leads to gentleness as we interact with each other. He also goes on to say that uh, we should be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I love you in spite of your faults. They need to hear that this morning. Yeah. You don't have any faults, but they do. They need to know that. And for those of you who think you're perfect, remember that if you feel you have no faults, that makes another one. Okay, we all have faults. Not many of us think that we're perfect, but we love each other. We make allowances for that. Patience is required in relationships. We're to stay united in the Holy Spirit, united on the same page, on the same team, working together, pulling in the same direction. And it's in the whole, in and through the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that. The Holy Spirit is the is uh, God that indwells us, right? And he gives us the connection with each other that when we live out of the power of the Holy Spirit, we are connected with each other. The times that we struggle and conflict happens and we become separated is typically when we're living out of our flesh, when we're living out of our own nature. That's what leads us in the wrong direction. And so he says, listen, it's the Holy Spirit that binds you together. Stay connected. Vista Kelly said that snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. But just look at what they can do when they stick together. If you've ever been in the mountains and seen the evidence of uh, an avalanche or seen one, they can do a lot of damage. They can tear down things that are solid and strong. Snow, when it sticks together, is a powerful force. And so we, as Christians, don't always feel the strongest in and of ourselves. When we're isolated, when we're out on our own, sometimes we feel weak and vulnerable. And yet the truth is when we come together, when we're bound together through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become a force that can change the world for good. This is what God's intention is. Finally, he says a statement of belief which should unite us in spite of any and all opposition. He says, listen, there's only one Lord and there's one faith. There's one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Listen, one We have oneness that's to connect us and bind us together. We must learn to live our lives in the direction of the calling that we've received from Jesus. There are times that we may want to step out of that calling. We may want to step out of what God's put us in the middle of. Because it can press us. It can be painful. It can cause cause a lot of hurt and damage, to be honest with you. If you've ever stepped into the fire of following Jesus, if you've ever stepped into the heat of it, you know what can happen. It can result in some pain and difficulty, and so there's times we just want out of it. We want to get out of it. I don't want to be a part of this anymore, God. I don't want to, you've never really engaged the mission of God, I don't think, if you haven't at some point said, could I, could I get out of this? Can I have a break? Because it's intense. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. He made application to Prior Richard at a local monastery, asking to be accepted as a contemplative and spending the rest of his life in the monastery. Your majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard because you have become or you have been a king. I understand, said Henry, the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. (laughs) Um, Living a life of obedience to God typically means staying in the battle. It doesn't mean stepping out. Now, there's times where we need a break. We need some rest. We need some refreshment. There are seasons that we're not right in the thick of it. But oftentimes, uh, no, all the time, (laughs) God calls us back in. He gives us another assignment. He gives us another venture to to engage in so that we can be a part of what he's doing in the world. It's a big part of the purpose that we're here. In order to live out your calling, you must understand that you've been empowered and gifted to accomplish the work God is calling you to. The adventurous journey God is calling you to will require that you know the gift that you've been given. Know the gift you've been given. Let's continue reading Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. However... God has given each one of you a gift. Another way, another word of interpretation would be a grace. Something you and I don't deserve. Something we didn't necessarily ask for. But God, because he knows you, he created you, uh, has a destiny for you to live in and work out. He has given you a gift in order to accomplish what it is he wants you to accomplish. What he's designed you to accomplish. But you've got to know what that gift is. Failing to know what your gift is means failure to use it. And failure to use it will cause both you and the church of Jesus Christ to suffer. Because you can't understand why you're here if you don't understand that you've been called to follow Jesus and you've been given a gift in order to accomplish work for Him. I'm convinced that too many see the call of the church, as I've heard many people say it, uh, as a negative. I've heard people say, well, be careful how much you get involved in that church pretty soon. They'll suck up all your time, you know, because they just need so many things done. So be careful. You got to be careful. Well, that may be true. I mean, you need to have some boundaries on your life. I mean, But I'll tell you that my life, uh, when I started volunteering in my local church, it did lead to it consuming my life. And that's how I experienced God calling me into full-time ministry to work uh, in this arena, right? To give my whole life to it. And so it can result in that. And I don't want to pretend that it won't cost. It does cost. Okay? It does cost. But the truth is that we will not grow. You will not experience the life that God's calling you to, that he has planned for you, if you don't get engaged, if you don't get involved. It's virtually impossible. And so I believe that the church and the believer, they're they're to be interdependent on each other. Jesus calls you personally make a decision. Where do you stand with him? Are you going to respond to what he's done for you? Are you going to put your trust in Jesus, his death on the cross, right, to pay for your sins? Are you going to recognize, hey, I need forgiveness. I can't get anywhere on my own. I need the grace and mercy of God. And so I ask for that and put my trust in Jesus. Then you move from death to life and you move into a place of forgiveness and wholeness. But then Jesus says, keep coming, keep coming. You got to follow me, right? I want to teach you to fish for men, there's things for uh, that I want you to do, and so your life has purpose and meaning. But you're never going to accomplish that or experience it without engaging the church. There's an interdependence. Believers are not meant to live in isolation or even just with a light attachment to the, to the church. They're meant to be fully connected. And the church cannot accomplish what it's supposed to, can't be the church of Jesus Christ if it doesn't have the investment and the connection with followers of Jesus. And so there's an interdependence. There's a story about two students who went to the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class that graduated this year was a blind man named Overton. He had gone to the school and navigated his way through, uh, through this um, law school with difficulty, uh, yet he had become friends with a man named uh, Isaac, who was, um who had no arms, and yet the two of them met, and they navigated school together. And so Overton, when he was given this award for being the high, highest ranking student, he said, listen, I need to recognize my friend who, without him, I wouldn't have made it through uh, my education here. I wouldn't have been successful. The two helped each other. The, the, negati- uh, the deficiencies of one became uh, sufficiency for the other and vice versa. They were interdependent, and so they succeeded together where neither could have succeeded on their own. This is the nature of the relationship between the church and the followers of Jesus. We're to be interconnected. Sadly, many of us do not use our gifts because it requires risk to step out. We have stories of times we tried. Pastor, I tried to get involved, and then you wouldn't believe how they treated me. Or I tried to step out and follow Jesus, but I got hurt, and you don't know, uh, you know, you don't know what I've been through. Well, listen, I understand it. We could live in the past, live in those hurts and failures and disappointments, or we could realize that perhaps God has a new day for us and that the past is the past and that the future is something we've got to move into, but we've got to be willing to take a risk to get there. Being stuck in the past can happen because of hurts and hangups and things like that. It can also just come because it's risky to step out. Try something new. Um, there was a story in the Detroit News years ago about a woman who uh, raised her sons in abject poverty. And they very, had very little. They lived in a, a little apartment, and just had very little. Well, the boys grew up and became successful and they uh, tried to bless their mom. And one of the things they didn't have grown up were just appliances and conveniences, you know, things that make the life of a housewife easier, or a person trying to take care of a home. And so uh, they started buying mom appliances, you know, like toast, toasters, right? Just little things. Well, they'd go home to visit, and one, on one visit, on top of the fridge were three boxes that all had toasters in them. And they said, Mom, come on, man. We're trying to help you here. We got these new appliances. You just plug them into the wall. get got an outlet, and they'll make toast for you. And sure enough, Mom, get up in the morning. She was making toast in the oven like she always did. And they'd say, Mom, come on. she say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to use those new toasters. No, leave them up there on the fridge. I like doing things the old way. Sometimes that's what holds us back. We just get comfortable in what we know. It's not very good. It's not very good. Our Christian life isn't really that great. We're not really experiencing that much joy in it. Not a lot of peace in it. Not a lot of excitement in it. Not a lot of meaning in it. But hey, it is what it is. And at least I know what it is. So I'm just going to stay in it where I'm at. Through this series, I want to call you to take a step to move if I could push you a little bit, I'm not big enough to push all of you. If I could push you a little bit, sometimes that's what it takes. And that's all I want to do. The Holy Spirit's got to lead you and guide you. But listen, I'm telling you, Jesus is calling to you to come, take a step. Let's move together. Let's grow towards maturity. Here at uh, Mitchell Breen, we offer some core classes. Those are just opportunities for you to learn about the church, learn who we are as a church, but also opportunity to grow. We're going to be starting a a, um, a core class this fall called the Discipleship Core Class. And we're going to be going over our vision for discipleship there. And our prayer is that each one of you that wants to would have an opportunity to connect with someone or to a little group and be discipled. Some of you need to be making disciples, right? You need to be reproducing yourself. You know what it means to follow Jesus. You've moved to that point in maturity. But nevertheless... We want to move to the place where that's who we are and want to help you take those steps. The truth is that God has designed the church to help you grow by giving it leadership gifts, and these church leaders are here to help train you. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 4 in verse 11. Now, these are the gifts... Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, I believe that these, uh, these different, um, Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, these are spiritual giftings. They're leadership gifts, that God gives the church. Now, there are offices that individuals held in the early church. There were apostles, right? The apostles that that formed the church and were the leaders of the church. Those offices have ended, but the spiritual gifting, I think, apostolic gifting, for instance, is still existent in the church. To me, as I look at it in the scriptures and what that spiritual gift is meant to do, it's meant to expand the church or lead the church on mission. The prophetic gift is meant to proclaim the truth, not present new truth, okay? We have all of the revelation that God is gonna give us in the scriptures, but they speak that truth that we already have, that revelation, in such a way that it's relevant for the moment. What do we need to do? What is God saying we need to do right now considering our situation and the truth of God's word? The evangelistic gift is about making disciples and helping others to make disciples, helping the church to grow, by expanding um, those that are following him. Pastors, uh, uh, the pastoral gift is uh, a shepherding gift, protecting and encouraging the church as it grows. And then the teaching gift is a a training one. It's to build up believers in their knowledge and understanding of the gospel. The point is that the job of those leadership gifts is to equip a a healthy church that's, that's biblically based. It's not a church where there are pastors and leaders that are doing all the ministry, right? But they have pastors and leaders who are equipping people to get involved in doing what God's called them to do, where the ministry is shared. There is a trust that's involved here. There's a trust between leadership and people in the church. So the leaders have to be willing to uh, empower others to give away the ministry, not do it all themselves. Okay, that's very important to accomplish what I believe the Bible teaches. But there also has to be a willingness on the part of the church, the people in the church, to take that sacred trust and hold it in a serious way. And because there's a lot of damage that gets done to people in churches and through churches by people that aren't mature and are not handling the ministry towards others with carefulness, right? Not doing it out of the power of the Spirit. And so that's where people can get hurt. And so there's a trust that needs to happen. Tony Evans, Uh, A famous pastor in our country says, leadership in the local church should be determined by spirituality, not notoriety. The goal of God's plan for the church is that you would move from chair to chair or calling to calling as you progress through this life. See, the goal is for you to become mature. Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. "Then Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We're to add, uh, the leaders, leaders are to um, equip the church to grow, to become mature, so that there's a knowledge, a growth in understanding what the Bible teaches, what the truth is, right? Grow in character, um, be able to interact with others in such a way that you're helping them grow by speaking the truth in love. Involved in the church ministries, you're um, part of the body, using your gift to help build up and grow the church. And finally, leading the church towards health. There's been a shift in the church in America. We've been through a bunch of different progressions. And uh, when I was younger, probably 20 years ago, there was a lot of emphasis on church growth, and that was numeric growth. And it's fine to grow numerically. I think a healthy church should grow numerically. But there's been a shift, which I think is really good, which is towards having a healthy church. And that's why we're focused on discipleship, the recognition we need to go a little deeper. We need to grow. We need to be mature. Now i got a question for you, given the picture. Uh, the need for discipleship, the, the message that Jesus is calling us to that. I got a question for you. I don't want an answer today, but I want you to think about it over the next weeks. And that is this. Do you want to grow up spiritually? Do you want to grow up? We see a delayed immaturity in, in our culture today. We try to stay younger, longer, you know, kind of put off the responsibilities of adulthood. But the truth is that in embracing the responsibilities comes the ability to live a full and meaningful life. That's where impact happens. That's where we make big differences. But we've got to grow up. And we we grow and and, uh, embrace that responsibility and that process of maturity at different points in life, in different stages. Little uh, Ariana came with her missionary parents to visit family in the United States. Uh, During her visit stateside, somebody asked her, little Ariana, do you want to be a missionary when you grow up? She said, well, I'm already a missionary. When I grow up, I think I'd like to do something else. Look, uh, five years old, she recognized that she was a missionary. That's what she was doing. And we can be called into and step up to that responsibility of maturity and embracing what uh, God's called us to do. Um, so often we come to God with our ambitions and our dreams and the things we want to do. And I think what we really need to do is come with availability. There was a young man uh, who uh, was excited about following Jesus and is living his life for him. And and so he uh, sat down and wrote up a list of things he was going to do for God, aspirations, things he wasn't going to do, things he was going to stay away from. He went to church and placed that on the altar and uh, he was hoping to find peace in that, having given his life to God. But he felt no peace. And so he went back and he made the list longer, more things that he was willing to do, more places he was going to go, and, and things he was, more things he was going to stay away from. And he went and put that back on the altar and still uh, he felt no peace. So he went to an older pastor for some wisdom. He told him what he was doing. And the pastor said, here's what I want you to do. Take a piece of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and put that on the altar. Um, what Jesus is calling us to is to the unknown. It's risky. It can be a little scary, but it's to step out and to follow him. Will you step up? Will you stop making excuses? Stop living in the past? Failures and disappointments? We all have those. If you want to sit down and talk, i got plenty of those. But let's don't live out of those. Let's move into the future. Instead, let it be a new day of obedience to Jesus' call. God, thank you so much for your call on our lives, the way that you reach out to us. God, even in those times when we're not sure what we think about you, we're not sure if you're there, we're not sure if you really care, you continue to call us. You just don't give up. And Father, I pray that you continue to move in us, move in our church. I pray that your spirit would touch our hearts, that we'd sense your presence, that we'd hear your calling, that we'd move uh, and step out with boldness, with a courage in the direction you're calling us to go. God, help us not to live in the past, Help us to find maybe strength there to see where you've been at work. But Father, help us to look to the future and to move into the place you're calling us to. God, I pray that you'd move in our church in a powerful way through this fall, through this growth campaign. May we all move a little bit closer to the place you want us to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.